Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 270 of the podcast for January 5th, 2017. Our first episode of the new year with a lot of great episodes in the works. My guests today are two physicians, Paul Deschant and Diane Shannon. They are co-authors of the recently released book, Preventing Physician Burnout, Curing the Chaos and Returning Joy to the Practice of Medicine. Now, Paul was previously a guest for episode 230. If you want to find that, go to leanblog.org slash 230. So in today's episode, we'll talk about uh, the challenges, the problem of physician burnout and burnout among other healthcare professionals. What are some of the possible causes? Is it possible to undo burnout? And how is lean part of the equation for preventing and curing burnout? Um, what are some of the systemic causes? How can we prevent those? And improve organizations, create better workplaces, and therefore create better outcomes for patients. So if you would like to uh, find links to the book, uh, links to the author's websites, uh, a summary of uh, the episode, and more, you can go to leanblog.org slash 270. Diane, hi. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Mark. And Paul, thank you for uh, being a returning guest with us once again. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, Diane, if you can start first, if you can introduce yourself and tell the listeners um, a little bit about your professional background. We're going to delve a little bit more into um, your story later on, but if you could kind of give people the overview, um, that would be a great start. Sure. I'm an internist. I practice general internal medicine in Boston but just for three and a half years. And then I left. At the time, I could not have articulated why I needed to leave. I really loved patient care, but I was experiencing what I now know as symptoms of burnout. I decided to leave. It was a really hard decision. And I have been a healthcare writer for the past 20 years now. It wasn't until about three years ago that I stumbled across the definition of burnout and recognized the real reason that I had left. And when I started telling my story about why I left medicine and the symptoms of burnout about, uh, again, three years ago, physicians began contacting me and sharing their stories of burnout. 
and how they were feeling really desperate about wanting to stay in patient care, but finding it really impossible. And so that's really kept me motivated to continue writing and talking about burnout and how to prevent it. Well, so um, we'll we'll delve deeper um, you know, into your story there. Um, you know, thank you um, and for, for sharing that. And I guess through the book, um, sharing something that will hopefully be very helpful for a lot of other physicians, uh, for, for healthcare leaders and administrators. Um, you know, which brings us to our, our second guest, Paul Deschant. I guess you've been in both of those roles as as a physician, as a healthcare leader. Um, for for people who maybe haven't heard episode two thirty, uh, when you were a guest before, can you can you give kind of the brief overview of, of your background and career and what you're doing now, Paul? Sure. So I had twenty five years of practicing as a family physician, and actually practiced in multiple settings. Um, and I moved six times during my clinical career, which uh, in retrospect was probably a reflection of burnout at each of those settings, thinking uh, I, things might be better if I worked somewhere else. Uh, but I also spent 30 years of progressive management roles, <clears throat> culminating in five years as the CEO of the Sutter Gould Medical Foundation. And during that time, I led a lean transformation of that 300 physician group using Simpler as our uh, coach and consulting group. Uh, after that, and we were quite successful. At that point, uh, Simpler then offered me the opportunity to work as an, as an executive coach to support uh, uh, CEOs and other C-suite members of healthcare systems that are pursuing lean transformation themselves. So for the past two years, I've been doing that as well as uh, delving deeper into this whole issue of burnout that's culminated in the book that we have coming out soon. Yeah, and the book, the title of the book, uh, again, is Preventing Physician Burnout, Curing the Chaos and Returning Joy to the Practice of Medicine, um, a, a very uh, Im important topic. But I was wondering if you could you know, kind of talk about what led to the writing of the book and, and why the topic of burnout is, is such an important issue. You know, Paul, can you maybe start off by defining for listeners what, what is meant by burnout? What would they look for whether they're a physician or in, in any sort of uh, other job? What, what do we mean by, um, by burnout, professional burnout, um, the problems and the symptoms of that? Yeah, so burnout it really comes from a mismatch between the worker and the workplace. And we can delve into the drivers of that mismatch later. It manifests in three key ways. One is emotional exhaustion. That's something that everybody thinks about when they think about burnout. They think you're exhausted, um, and, and that resonates quite deeply. Uh, the other two manifestations aren't thought of as commonly related to burnout necessarily. The first one is depersonalization, and when that, that word we often translate into cynicism. Mm. And as physicians, we're pretty good at being cynics. You know, doctors are pretty smart. They can see through when um, when people present things that are maybe not the way they really are, um, and and it's and it's kind of fun sometimes to be cynical when you're really uh, put into a catch twenty two situation, uh, but cynicism carries a significant issues. Uh, first of all, cynicism even more than emotional exhaustion drives uh, indicators that there's going to be serious sequelae from the burnout. Either people leaving the profession, or even higher risks of suicide, uh, which is a problem unto itself within burnout. 
uh, the other manifestation is a sense of inefficacy, as though what what the person is doing doesn't really matter. And as I think about that, it just feels um, really sad that someone's committed a, the decade of their 20s mm -hmm. to developing this professional competence, and they've committed their careers to helping others. And those patients we help truly feel as though we're making a difference, but somehow, as physicians, we don't feel that impact of the difference that we're making. So it's those three, those three factors, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and that sense of inefficacy, that that's how burnout manifests. Yeah, I mean, where's the, the fine line, do you think, between um, uh, healthy skepticism and you know, something that, that, that tips over into cynicism that, that's part of burnout? Uh, the way I would think about it is that cynicism in, in burnout, someone has essentially given up and said, I'm, I can't make a difference here anymore. Uh, you can be a healthy skeptic and use that positively to drive change. But when you get to the point of resignation, um, then cynicism is used as a defense mechanism. Um, so, Diane, you, you've already touched on um, the idea of, of, of suffering burnout. Uh, your decision, I'm sure a difficult decision to leave the practice of medicine. Can you share a little bit more of, of the details of what it was like practicing medicine, what you were experiencing, what some of the, uh, what some of the challenges were that, that led to that decision? Sure. I, I think the worst of the symptoms were actually in residency, which is common. You know, it's long hours, you're exhausted, there's a lot to learn, you have a lot of responsibility. And I thought some of those symptoms, the exhaustion, the depersonalization where I was feeling less connected emotionally to what I was doing and had less of a sense of meaning, I thought that a lot of that would get better once I finished training and moved on to practice. I found that the exhaustion was definitely better, but the other symptoms remained. And when I look back, I think the biggest source of anxiety for me was the level of chaos in the environment. And I was constantly plagued by this fear that something was going to happen to my patients. And I found myself double checking things and worrying about what might get lost or what might get forgotten or a, a system issue that would eventually lead to harm in one of my patients. And that constant nagging worry, I think wore away at me and really exhausted me as I tried to provide safe, compassionate, high quality care. And I, I believe that that was really one of the major causes for me of burnout. Do, now, do you think, you know, when we talk about, you know, risk of harm to patients in, in different settings and, you know, uh, systemic causes of that, you know, chaos is not the fault of any one individual. Um, do, do you think were, were you um, through your education or otherwise kind of more attuned, more aware of the risk that patients face compared to to other physicians? I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, people having their head in the sand about those risks would would be a good strategy preventing burnout. But do, do you think that was part of it or what, what, what do you think led to that sense of, of worry? I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that's a, a kind of a personality quirk, although those of us who are attracted to going into medicine tend to be perfectionistic and very self-critical. I mean, that's just a tendency. Mm -hmm. 
I think I was just aware of that and did not feel comfortable with the level of uncertainty and kind of the the places where there were lots of opportunities for error. And I think the lack of attention to human factors. And I'm glad to see that there's so much more attention to that today. Just the awareness, thinking about where are there places where we can kind of hardwire um, activities so that there's no chance of making an error or that it's caught before it actually results in harm to a patient. One other aspect that I wanted to mention that relates to the cynicism that Paul was mentioning earlier is another term for that is depersonalization. And what I was really interested to learn from our interviews and from the reading of the literature is that that is actually a coping mechanism that workers used used to deal with emotional exhaustion on the job. It's a way of trying to continue to be effective at work. But what it means for physicians is beginning to separate themselves from the emotional parts of their job. And that means seeing the patient as an object or a case or a number. And I really did not like seeing that myself. That was not what brought me into medicine. And I know that that's really disconcerting for a lot of physicians. Now, you said, you know, you've mentioned that you've heard a lot of similar stories. Other physicians have reached out to you. Are, are there common common threads or themes or, or causes of burnout and, and what you've heard from others? Probably the the most common sentiment that I hear is, thank you for writing because I didn't know anyone else felt this way and I haven't found another place where I felt safe talking about the fact that I feel stressed, that I feel like I don't know how I'm going to continue in this job. And they're very, so they're relieved to find that they're not the only one feeling that way. I think the other common thread is a disconnect between the physicians and those at the leadership level who are making decisions that directly affect patient care. And the sense that the physicians feel that they're, they're not being heard or that there's not a clear understanding of what it's like on a daily basis with patients. And, and Paul, I mean, it's kind of a uh, obvious, like it's logical transition back to you, but not to put you on the spot as someone who was in that role of leadership. I mean, what, what did you hear when you were running, um, you know, a healthcare organization? Did, did you have anyone ever bring up the subject of, of burnout to you as a leader, something that they were struggling with or concerned about? Uh, I'm trying to think if people actually brought it up specifically to me. I don't think so because at that point, people tried to still protect themselves and feared that if they brought up the feeling of burnout, it might actually put their career at some risk. Uh, you know, this was seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we themed at, at Sutter Gould, the theme we had for our lean transformation was returning joy to patient care because we didn't want to focus our lean effort on increasing productivity or driving satisfaction. We knew that we needed to re-engage the physicians. Our, our provider satisfaction scores were low. Uh, we, we heard a lot from uh, our docs about that. Um, and we also saw a lot of cynicism and knew even as we got started with this theme of returning joy, 
that there would be cynics who would poo-poo that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so a key part of leadership was uh, setting that clear vision and then sticking with it over time and gradually uh, demonstrating to physicians who are understandably and, and validly skeptical that indeed this uh, would work and would make a difference. Yeah, and you, this is something you've blogged about a lot. I would definitely recommend listeners go um, to, to your blog where you've written on this theme of returning joy to patient care, uh, pauldeshantmd.com. Uh, um, but can, can you um, maybe elaborate a little bit, Paul? I'm curious, or if, uh, Diane, if you have some thoughts about this idea of people being fearful of, of speaking up. Is, is it, do you think people are afraid that they would be labeled as, as, as being weak individuals, um, not, not being mentally tough enough? Um, is, is part of the approach to trying to deal with burnout somehow making it okay for people to, to raise those concerns? What, what, what do you think, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, every physician, in order to get licensed and in order to get credentialed at institutions, has to answer a question about whether there may be any potential compromise in their ability uh, to function adequately mentally and emotionally. Uh, and uh, probably every physician in some way has lied in answering that question uh, because the question usually goes back throughout their entire uh, career. Um, and everybody's experienced some kind of challenges along these lines. Uh, in fact, um, in, uh, one of the places I coach is in North Carolina, and the lead, physician leadership there has worked with the North Carolina Medical Society to ch- and, and licensing board to change the way the question is asked to allow people to acknowledge that, yes, there may be stresses, um, and yes, um, you know, I acknowledge that and I work to deal with it rather than having to admit to a, a potential weakness that could be considered some could be considered career ending. Um, so there's a, still a lot of stigma. There's a lot less stigma than there was, but there's an awful lot of stigma still out there to deal with. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on that, Diane? I completely agree. Um, when I think back, I, I didn't want to admit to myself that I had burnout. I mean, it, it, it's really, it definitely has a lot of stigma. And when I think about the physicians that I've interviewed, none of them are willing to tell their story without, you know, de-identification. Um, when I have journalists approach me asking for physicians with burnout to interview, I, I tell them that there, there are none that I know of who are willing to give their names. You know, this is Paul. There are ex- I, I, there are some brave souls that are now coming forward. Um, another place that I work, actually, there's a physician who works in uh, pediatric palliative care. You know, which certainly carries a lot of stress with that. Um, and he is now leading the physician wellness effort at that institution. Uh, but he starts out his story by saying, "You know, I am an alcoholic," uh, and and from there leads into his discussion about how he burned out, how he's he had to come to terms with this and become public in order to fully go through his personal recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, uh, but it's he's he's definitely a rarity uh, in this whole effort. Yeah, I mean, not you know, not to get uh, too sidetracked, but I'm wondering if, you, if either of you could could speak, you know, as 
as physicians, are, are there parallels um, where, where people are, are more generally hesitant to bring up anything that might be considered uh, a mental health issue in terms of you know, societal pressure? And there, I think there's been a lot of focus more broadly of, of uh, you know, making it uh, more acceptable for people to bring up issues of anxiety or depression. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts there if you're sort of thinking, you know, as, as a clinician, thinking about physicians who, um, you know, need help and support that way? Well, I, I think there, there, is, there is this issue of what is, you know, is burnout a, a, a mental illness? Um, you know, is it a personal failing or some internal um, you know, physiologic uh, problem of the physician, or is it something that every normal person experiences is, experiences when they're put into a workplace where they cannot be successful? Uh, and then it manifests in ex emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, inefficacy, and all of those eventually lead to, truly do lead to depression, uh, leads to suicide. You know, mental physicians, as they enter medical school, actually have been found to be amongst the most uh, mentally healthy people, but by the end of medical school, mm. many of them are not. Um, and in fact, I know personally of, of uh, medical students who have gone through that course and during the course of uh, medical school end up going on antidepressants simply to cope mm. uh, with the challenges of training. But it's incredibly important that this is not an internal uh, deficit of the person. It's a normal person interacting with a system and in a workplace that has the deficit. You know, we've really get, have gotten to talking about these as being toxic workplaces where mm -hmm. someone only succeeds in spite of the workplace, not because of the mm -hmm. way the workplace mm -hmm. helps them to be successful. Now, I mean, would, would you say, I mean, society, I think, has tried to get better, to, to your point, Paul, about not, not blaming somebody for suffering from depression, but recognizing that it's... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a medical ailment that they shouldn't be blamed or faulted for. Um, seems like there's a strong parallel to this idea of we shouldn't blame people for being burned out. I mean, have, have any of you heard stories about, you know, uh, not, not just, you know, people blaming themselves or putting pressure on themselves, but being blamed or, you know, belittled for, um, for suffering from, like you said, uh, workplace problems, not personal problems. There's a, a great example, I think, of this um, that we talk about in the book where a physician coach that I know of told me a story of one of her clients who was clearly suffering from burnout to the extent that he was having cognitive issues. And both the his personal primary care physician, his psychiatrist, and this coach all recommended that he take some time away from work. He went and asked for a three-month unpaid leave of absence, and he was declined. They said, mm. his, his organization said, no, we can't afford mm. for you not to be here. And so I think it's really not recognizing the true effects of burnout and, right. um, and, and thinking that it's not the workplace, right? Well, I mean, it sounds yeah. like, um, I mean, they, they, they couldn't afford to be without the doctor. Could they afford to have the doctor not really fully present and working in a state of burnout? Exactly. That's a great point. Um, in addition, uh, there's this whole other issue around is burnout a mental illness or not. In, in uh, ICD-10, burnout is listed 
as a diagnosis, but it's listed as a contributing cause, not as a primary diagnosis. And in DSM-5, the Psychiatric Disease Manual, burnout is not even listed. And this is a, there's actually quite a bit of political debate going on in the medical community around this, uh, in part for fear that if it were considered a diagnosis, um, that it could unleash a torrent of work comp claims mm. uh, that could cripple the health system. Uh, so this is it's be, there's this fine line between uh, you know it, what causes burnout. Is it an individual issue? Is it a system issue? How does that then manifest? And, and actually, it gets into this question, Mike, you've got about, can we afford to have people who are there but not really there, the whole presenteeism issue? Um, also, as a coping mechanism for burnout, most commonly people cope by reducing their workload. When health systems already face a shortage of physicians and they're struggling with razor-thin operating margins, the thought of having physicians reduce their work level mm. puts the puts the the organization itself at financial risk, uh, and and this is a real challenge for executives in terms of how to deal with this. It's one of the things that that for me drew me to lean as as a as a truly viable answer to address the burnout crisis, because while reducing workload is one one approach, uh, the other drivers of burnout. Um, are all very effectively addressed through lean. And with that, we can actually make a lot of positive improvement without having to reduce workloads. So, I mean, and if, if there's, you know, agreement, um, I guess, at least amongst the three of us, that burnout is a widespread problem and a systemic problem, um, I'm guessing we would also agree that we need to work on the root causes of burnout rather than in different ways denying there's a problem or avoiding it being listed as something that that could cause uh, workers comp claims um, can, can you can you maybe elaborate a little bit more Paul on um, you know the the use of lean as uh, a way of, of preventing uh, burnout fixing the underlying systemic causes of burnout Absolutely. And let's start by talking about the drivers of, of burnout. They've been well outlined uh, really through two key researchers. One is um, Maslach and Leiter have a book, of, actually 20 years old now, um, called The Truth About Burnout, where they describe this very well. And then Mark Linzer is an internist at Hennepin County in, Min in Minneapolis who's done a lot of research and work on this um, and has identified a couple of other drivers unique to physicians. The first driver is work overload. And that's the one that we all think about. We have too much to do, so we burn out. And But in healthcare in particular, uh, the other factors that, that affect workload are the chaotic work environment that Diane so eloquently described. And then time pressure, this constant need to you know, stay on time to see another patient, keep the 15-minute schedule, um, you know, get, the, get the discharge done by 11, all those kind of things that we feel and struggle with. So those are the workload aspects. But in addition to that, um, there is a loss of control as another key driver, and that speaks specifically to uh, physicians' uh, strongly held value of autonomy and thinking about how we can manage autonomy uh, in a situation where we feel like we're losing control. Uh, the next one are inadequate rewards. And while we think about financial rewards as being the most common way we get rewarded, 
In fact, the prestige that comes and recognition that comes from being a physician is a reward. And our ability as professionals to control our professional life is another non-financial reward that has been significantly compromised. Uh, as we lose those rewards, we start to feel a breakdown of community. And that happens um, more and more these days, oftentimes related to the electronic health record because people are spending more time focused with their fingers on the keyboard and their eyes on a screen instead of talking to each other and working together. Uh, with the lack of time, the physician's lounge at the hospital has uh, fewer and fewer doctors hanging out there connecting with each other because people are just too busy trying to get their work done. Uh, from there, as, we, as the community breaks down, people start to feel like um, that we're seeing an absence of fairness, um, that we're perhaps um, another uh, specialty is getting a better deal or just the way that we're being treated by others uh, is not fair. Um, and a lot of that comes from the last of these drivers, which is a mismatch of values. Uh, you know, people go into medicine very, um, oftentimes very altruistic, really driven to take care of patient, uh, patients as well as possible. Um, but then we face the realities of having our organization survive financially. And so I've personally seen healthcare systems that uh, demonstrate uh, this mismatch of values, expecting their, um, their, their docs, their nurses to perform at a 75th to 90th percentile of performance on quality, satisfaction, et cetera, but, but then cut back the resources necessary to provide that to uh, the 10th to 25th percentile level of resources while they're expecting mm -hmm. uh, high levels of performance. And that, that drives a lot of cynicism. So, sure, so, it's, sure. so it's, it's all those drivers, um, those six key drivers, and we can actually address those very well through lean. The mismatch of values, if we do strategy deployment properly with catch ball and, and having people understand what the true north metrics are, we can address a lot of issues around mismatch of values. Uh, fairness issues can get addressed by empowering people to make changes in their own workplace so they then start to regain control over addressing the barriers and frustrations they run into. Uh, as, we, as people work together in huddles to improve you know, to, to do problem solving, uh, just the fact that we're working together helps rebuild community. Uh, as we do all of those and the intrinsic rewards that come from that kind of work start to address the uh, inadequate reward issue, uh, and we then regain control. So if we address all of those issues uh, and actually create a, a process by which we're solving problems and removing barriers and frustrations, uh, we start to address a lot of the things that drive the whole issue of work overload um, and can reduce that, that overload and help a lot. So a right. uh, bit of a long-winded answer, but, but this is where a lot of the real power of lean done right comes into play. And, and Diane, what, what are your thoughts, whether it's about lean or other strategies uh, for preventing burnout, trying to help people recover from burnout? Well, I think the fact that Lean looks at the underlying issues and really tries to focus on that part, fixing what is broken. And I think the other part of Lean that we found so important in our, in our interviews as well was the, the aspect of respect for the workforce 
and that often what we found in speaking with people is they would think of lean as simply being the tools that that are that they're aware of without understanding that it's a whole comprehensive change right. and a culture change and part of that is respect for the workforce and really empowering them and i think so often the physicians that contact me feel really disempowered and feel that they don't have a say in identifying what's wrong and trying to creatively find solutions so i think i think it is really hopeful that there is a system that can work. And one of the things I found so exciting was when Paul and I interviewed physicians who had experienced burnout in their workplace, and then their workplace implemented a transformation with lean. And to speak with them about what their daily life was like compared with before you know, beforehand, it was really gratifying to hear. Yeah. And um, several of them said, like, this lean has extended my career, that I would not still be here if it weren't for these improvements. Well, it's, that's great to hear. And I mean, that's, gosh, that's, that's what I, I would want to hear. Um, now, um, you know, unfortunately, and, and, and Paul is something we've, we've talked about before, and I know you've written about, um, and in fact, you, you included a little bit about this in the book, the difference between, you know, what you might call real lean with, um, you know, practices, approaches, you know, so, something an organization calls lean that we might not recognize as lean. You know, the idea of, you know, just following doctors around uh, with stopwatches, pressuring them to work faster, um, you know, the types of things that I think from our discussion uh, would increase burnout or increase the risk of burnout. Um, can, can you comment on that uh, a little bit, Paul? You know, why, why do you think we see some of that uh, disparity out there in, in terms of what organizations are calling lean, how physicians are reacting um, to that? What, 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 are your, some, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yes, the maybe a core issue there is, is lean being done too the physicians or is it being done with the physicians uh, one of the striking things i learned in the in the research was we saw that uh, not only uh, are physicians burning out but that 80 percent of physicians feel as though the leadership of their organization isn't doing anything to deal with the issue uh, and that's not uncommon certainly we see that in the general public too that you know 80 percent of workers in any in, in any profession feel that leadership isn't doesn't really care and isn't addressing their their issues that the frustrations they find in their workplace right. um, you know by by taking that up by using respect for people and deeply honoring that by connecting and listening to the workers and the work that um, you know list, looking for the solutions the workers know are there and empowering them to um, address those, uh, that's where we start to see a real difference. So yes, there are tools and the tools are important. And in, and in order to um, choose the right uh, solutions to the problems, using the tools helps us to hone in on those. Um, but if it's done strictly with the tools and strictly for the, the uh, goal of improving productivity, uh, that's where we lose the real power of lean. Um, as, as we start the wrap up here, one other question I wanted to try to delve into is 
kind of the the skeptical or, or cynical response um, I've seen, you know, from from some physicians writing about uh, burnout, either just poo pooing the idea of burnout or saying that we just you know we need to somehow teach people to be more resilient. Um, D- Diane, do you have any comments on kind of those reactions and how you react to those reactions? Yes. Well, this, the second part of that about building resilience, I mean, I, I think it is very important that physicians, as we come in as physicians to see patients, that we are at our best. And part of that is stress reduction, you know, exercise, eating well, and potentially mindfulness practice. Um, there are all sorts of, of things that we can do as individuals to increase our resilience to a stressful environment. That said, those are not enough to prevent burnout. Mm -hmm. If you're going into a chaotic, incredibly stressful, dysfunctional workplace every day, it is eventually going to wear you out. In terms of those who say, you know, burnout doesn't really exist, or it's just, you know, physicians complaining, I would say, sit down and talk to physicians, if you can get them in a place where they feel safe to actually talk about it. And their stories just make it clear. These are dedicated, hardworking individuals who simply cannot find a way to do their job, their calling, as they were, or as they want to, as they feel that they're actually providing good quality care without, you know, sacrificing themselves and their their health. And, and, and Paul, yeah. do you have any any other thoughts uh, or reactions to to that? Yeah, so I completely agree. And one of the ways we present this concept in the book is we have a model that shows three concentric circles uh, that help people to understand what's driving the burnout issue. So in the center circle is the physician themselves. And we are by nature um, at risk for burnout because of the work that we do. You know, we people are making life and death decisions for which we can get sued and potentially lose our life's earnings. Um, and, and that's just a reality. Now, that um, doesn't mean we shouldn't do the work, but, but we have to acknowledge that. And taking care of ourselves is vital in that process. Um, but the second ring, then, is the workplace itself. And it's the interaction of the worker in the workplace that makes it so challenging. Uh, providing that the work, it, because the current situation is that the workplace is dysfunctional and physicians as individuals are unable to be successful. One of the things we can think about then is the cynicism physicians have about leadership in their healthcare organizations. Well, the leaders themselves are also stressed and burned out, Mm. uh, but they're being impacted by the external factors that surround our healthcare systems. Uh, And those are multiple. You know, there are uh, all the challenges around the EHR, which we've talked about, um, but there's a significant amount of issues around the regulatory environment uh, and constant changes there, you know, ICD-10 changing, meaningful use coming in, um, changes that are coming with trying to move from volume to value, star ratings for our health systems that drive the reimbursement, uh, payers deciding, how, you know, changing contracts, deciding what they'll reimburse for, what they won't. Um, in addition, we have changes around how we get rated, you know, press gainies, uh, H caps and CG caps, satisfaction surveys, uh, changing patient demographics where patients are truly are sicker. You know, there's more chronic disease, more meds. There are uh, in changes in 
patients' cultural backgrounds, um, more and more patients who don't speak English, who need translators. Um, and then those patients who are pretty savvy come in having consulted with Dr. Google and already know what they want. They know what they want. They just want us to, rather than to use our critical skills, um, they just want us to order the tests that they want or prescribe the treatments that they want. So um, there's just tremendous external pressures hitting our systems. The executives are trying to cope with that to keep the workplace functional. And as the workplace, uh, where that workplace is not just functional, then as individual physicians, we're trying to cope uh, by taking as a care of ourselves as well as possible in order to deal with that challenge. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a big complex issue. Um, but, and, and it, so we need all, we need progress on all fronts. Uh, we need that individual support of wellness programs and burnout coaches. Uh, we need to address the system issues within our institutions. And we also need this whole approach of addressing those external factors. You know, how do we work at the governmental um, and, and uh, societal level to address those? So these are complex issues. Um, if you if, if you were to recommend, you know, one thing, the first thing that any healthcare organization CEO should do starting tomorrow to um, to acknowledge, uh, prevent, uh, address burnout, what what would that first first thing be? I think that uh, the first thing a CEO should do is engage with and listen to their physicians. Uh, and build relationships uh, that are based on respect um, and, and work with their physicians as partners in redesigning the way that healthcare is delivered. And, and Diane, maybe you know, uh, a, a second thing or a second most important thing, what would you suggest? Well, I'm actually going to emphasize what Paul said because that, that I completely agree with. And in addition, possibly shadowing physicians. So literally following them through a day mm -hmm. to see what a day is like and to sit down next to them while they're using the EHR to see the inefficiency there. Yeah, because otherwise it's it's really easy for executives to sort of downplay or you know dismiss the whiners, quit whining about the system instead of recognizing or addressing you know kind of you know legitimate concerns and root causes of of these frustrations, right? Exactly. It's all about going to the Gemba. So um, I'm sure you know. There's we, we've only scratched the surface of uh, what what's in the book, um, preventing physician burnout. Where where can people learn more about the book online, or preview it, or or even uh, go and buy it online? So we're just about to publish. Um, at this point, the place to go would be to both of our websites. Um, Mark, you gave my URL already. Uh, Diane's is mdwriter.com, uh, so you can find information there. Uh, you can also email either of us directly, and we'd be happy to help you um, to, to notify you when we actually have it available for pre-order on Amazon. I hope people um, will, will do that. Um, where, where can people find you on, uh, on social media or other ways? Uh, Diane, if uh, you can go first. My website is the best, uh, mdwriter.com. Okay. And Paul, or, or any any other suggestions yeah. for how to contact you? Yeah. So my website's Paul Deschant, M-D, mm -hmm. P-A-U-L-D-E-C-H-A-N-T-M-D.com. 
Um, I'm also on Twitter at Paul Deshant MD and on Facebook uh, and LinkedIn at the same uh, same identifiers. Okay. Well, I, I, I hope people will um, check out the book and, uh, and find it um, useful in their work, whether they are physicians, executives, uh, lean facilitators trying to get uh, you know, a good understanding of um, you know, some of these different issues. Um, I appreciate um, the both of you sharing your perspectives, Paul Deschamps and Diane Shannon. Again, the book is titled Preventing Physician Burnout, Curing the Chaos and Returning Joy to the Practice of Medicine. Thank you so much for uh, talking today about your experiences and the book. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.